Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. I like to tell people that I'm responsible for the projects and programs that deal with blindness from birth to earth, from womb to tomb. And this is part two of a two-part series where we talked with Anil Lewis about some of the services and resources available from the National Federation of the Blind. Anil Lewis is the Executive Director of Blindness Initiatives for the NFB. And whereas last week's program focused mostly on programs for youth, this week's program will focus mostly on programs for adults. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Anil Lewis. Now, this is actually the tip that we used a couple of months ago in show 2038, where Anil spoke about his personal journey through life as a black man who became blind in his 20s. And it was a fascinating story that he had to tell. So I hope you'll go back and listen to it and that this will motivate you to do that. I think... If I was to offer a general tip, that it would be for everyone to exercise a degree of tolerance with one another, to seek to understand the other person. I know it's one of Stephen Covey's things, seek first to understand and then seek to be understood. But I think that's really key in both climates, uh, the blindness and the blackness. And I think that if we can do that, then we'll all get to a better place with respect to loving one another. And Anil made the point that the skills he learned as a black youth to interact with a society that was primarily white have helped him acquire the skills that he then needed as a blind adult to interact in a society that was primarily sighted and that both skill sets have helped him in both situations. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by... A sight, wearable electronic eyeglasses that support visual ability for people who are low vision or blind with visual acuity of 2600 or better. More information about the Ace Sight family is online at acesight.com. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Anil and learning about his involvement in the National Federation of the Blind. My name is Anil Lewis. I'm the Executive Director of Blindness Initiatives for the National Federation of the Blind. And how long have you had that position? Well, I've been a member of the National Federation of the Blind since 1999, but I've been in the Blindness Initiatives portion of the work that we do since 2014. And what is the general mission of the Blindness Initiatives Division that you're director of? I like to tell people that I'm responsible for the projects and programs that deal with blindness from birth to earth, from womb to tomb. We host a lot of uh, programming and projects and research related to education, employment, access technology, research around blindness. Um, Our Jacobus Timbrook Library also falls under my responsibility. So just a host of the projects and programs that we kind of initiate, develop, and execute to allow blind people to live the lives they want. I understand you are visually impaired yourself, right? Yes, I've been blind since 1989. I lost my sight due to retinitis pigmentosa. 
but not in what you call the normal way. No, it wasn't a traditional progressive deterioration of vision like my older brother and older sister both experienced in their lives. I lost a significant amount of vision so that I went to work on Friday. Everything was fine. When I went back to work on Monday, I could no longer read my computer screen. That had to be a pretty scary situation. Yeah, it was scary at the time. Now I kind of make light of it. So I guess you didn't face any of these challenges of blindness or limited vision when you were young. Not through school. I was in college at the time, um, working on a degree in uh, computer information systems. So no, I hadn't experienced any real blindness issues or any of the adverse effects that come with blindness. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is programs and services offered by the National Federation of the Blind focused primarily on adults at whatever stage people are in their vision loss path. So you previously spoke a lot about starting some of these services and learning tools from when people were very young through when they were getting older. But many people lose their vision later in life, and that has to be a very different experience. Mm -hmm. You know, they've done things a certain way, using their eyes mostly throughout life, and then all of a sudden they're 60, 70, whatever, and they start to have vision problems. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how the NFB helps people like that. Sure. And, And that's a very difficult population. When you've lived the majority of your life using sight to do the things that are fundamental to your existence, and then all of a sudden that tool is gone, it's a tremendous shift. Even when it's to the point where it's not a lot of vision, you know, just the fact that you've lost a little, um, that's really scary. So in the senior population, especially, it's a difficult uh, kind of nuanced intervention that needs to take place. And the way that we do that is we have a national organization of the senior blind. So we have individuals who have been there, done that, got the T-shirt, that can really empathize in a real way that doesn't pity that person. So they can really, you know, talk to them and interact with them in a way that says, you know, I understand exactly what you're feeling, understand exactly what you're going through. They can relate similar experiences, and then they can build on that to start really sharing best practices and strategies toward getting them to reclaim their lives. There's no reason for a blind senior to be shipped off to a nursing home if, you know, they don't have any other health issues. Uh, But we've seen it happen so much. But when that person has that role model, has that mentor, that person who actually has had that same lived experience, one, it's very comforting to know that someone actually does understand because so many people say, yeah, I know. And then you say, no, there's no way you could know. You've never had this experience. But if you've had the experience, then you can really truly empathize. And then two, that person who's actually able to show the best practice, to show the strategies in a way that they've used to reclaim their lives is the best example for someone to follow. Again, it's that it's the heart of the Federation. It's people that care about people, uh, people who, who want to share their lived experience and people who want to pay it forward, who want to make sure that the benefit that they've gotten through participating in our organization uh, is shared with others who are walking down that same path. What would be some examples of some of these valuable skills that older adults might learn through these interactions? We've done a lot, you know, with respect to 
older blind, because many states have an older blind um, services through their state VR office. Uh, we used to have, and I don't know why we stopped. I think maybe some of the affiliates may have adopted it, but we used to call, have something called a possibilities fair. where We would just bring, you know, seniors together and we would talk about those tools because in many instances, a lot of the seniors became blind as seniors and they're a little bit more reluctant to go through the trouble. I guess they would consider it of learning braille, but we can still teach them how to do things non-visually without actually, actually learning braille. But we do try to encourage them to learn braille, learning how to use a timer, you know, a tactile timer to do things. And now today, many of the seniors are becoming very proficient in using the iPhone technologies. That seems to be very popular for seniors to learn because then once you master the iPhone, you can do so much. I have a, an app that controls my thermostat at home. And, you know, once once you start mastering that iPhone, you can control so much more of your life than you couldn't without it. There are so many tools and utilities on the iPhone from apps that will read documents to you to, mm-hmm. as you say, apps that will control your thermostat, your lights, your door locks. Yeah. I find the phone is almost an essential item to have around for a lot of this access. Yeah, yeah. So we, we marry all of that, again, with the heart of the Federation. So I think that the key that no one else can duplicate is in those instances where there are going to be gaps because that's just the nature of the beast. We have a volunteer membership organization of over 50,000 blind people across this country who will step in. Uh, when I was getting services through a non-traditional training center uh, who didn't really teach structured discovery, which is the training philosophy adopted by the National Federation of the Blind, which does talk about problem solving and skills attainment as opposed to learning rote skills, I was able to supplement that traditional training with the experiences of my blind friends in the Federation who taught me more about how to use a cane beyond more than just a probing tool. I think the hardest things for older people who start to experience vision issues is, first of all, there's a denial. I've always done things this way. It can't be that bad. I'll figure out a way to get around this. I'm not really going blind. And they spend a lot of money on medical and eyeglasses and magnifiers. And yeah. Yeah. And, you know, often they don't know about the resources and services that are available for people with vision issues. You're right. How do you get people interested in your programs to learn about the resources that are available? Yeah, and that's the challenge because um, the competing factors that prohibit them from getting to know and getting to learn us is um, there's a lot more people out there that are talking about research about the cure. Uh, which I have to admit, when I lost my sight, of course, the first thing I wanted was to get my sight back. Uh, So it's kind of hard to find a service appealing that talks about living productively as a blind person when you're still in denial and you don't want to be blind. Uh, So that's one. Um, The other is many of the ophthalmologists out there really feel kind of guilty, I guess I would call it, that they can't restore the blindness but they don't recognize that they also have a similar obligation to really kind of be that conduit to us. Uh, We have uh, documentation on the web called if your best efforts fail, that's a tool that we try to get ophthalmologists to use and understand that in those instances, and there will be those instances where you cannot save or restore sight. There's other things you can do to make sure that person still has quality of life. So the biggest challenge is of course, there's so much other progress. I'll call it just to be nice. Uh, doing all of those things other than getting the person to cope with blindness. 
And uh, you're right, denial is one. Fear is a big one. Um, all of those particular factors. And, and the way that we do it, again, is you've got to spend that time with the individual. And that's why static projects and programs, you know, many states, again, have the older blind program. But essentially what they do is they take them through a static process. If you're 55 or older, you can go to your state program. You can tell them that you're blind and they'll ask you what services you need. And of course, you're supposed to know that. Um, they, they will usually provide things like um, a CCTV, uh, which is, you know, large screen magnifiers, et cetera. Uh, but many of the state agencies are reluctant to provide those independent living skills that that blind senior needs in order to maintain, you know, their independence in life. Yeah, they may do it for a student or a professional, but if you're retired or you you just don't happen to have a job and you're, you know, staying at home, they won't often provide those technologies because they tend to be kind of expensive. And... Yeah. Well, even O&M training, if you move to a new town and you've got a new job and you need O&M training to be able to get to your employment, you can get that service. But if you move to a new town and you don't have a job, try getting training so you can find the local supermarket. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And that's why the static systems, you know, in the way that they operate, they don't, again, fill the gaps. But if there's a senior, I love the analogy you just put out there, that moves into a new city, chances are we have an active chapter in that city. And I'm pretty sure that we could find a blind member or a family member of that blind member that would be happy to work with that senior that's moved into that place and help fill that particular gap where the public service does it. So if people do want to connect with some of the services and resources that the NFB offers, you do have chapters all over the country. And it's yes. likely that within a few miles, there may be some local organization. Is that right? Mm -hmm. We have affiliates in all 50 states, plus the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico. And in all of those states, we have local chapters in various cities throughout those states. The beautiful thing about the current situation related to COVID-19 is we're becoming more dynamic and being able to reach people virtually. Of course, that's not a substitute for being in that space because it's, you know, very difficult uh, to teach a person Braille or to travel independently when you're not in that same space with them. Uh, but it does allow contact that's at least helpful to get people to get the services that they can get, the intervention that they can receive or the support, you know, that they can benefit from virtually. And when there's not a pandemic around, I assume you host some social events sometimes so people can gather in person. Absolutely. Our chapters usually meet once a month. Uh, just that's to conduct the business of the chapter, which is usually focused on conducting some local advocacy uh, or doing some fundraising. But then the chapters also have a social component where they'll get together uh, either after or before chapter meetings or sometimes other times during that month. And they may go bowling or they may go to an amusement park or go on a picnic. Yeah, a lot of social interaction as well. We like to call ourselves a family. So you said earlier that your initial interaction with the NFB was as a recipient of services. What were some of the ways in which the NFB was able to help you? I know that it was the Federation that taught me how when I travel, I was taught to travel by um, shorelining, you know, tapping a, a line, whether it be the sidewalk and the grass or against the building to kind of shoreline your way towards your destination. Mm -hmm. But I was taught to, to map based on the ambient noise of the traffic without that. I remember one of my first O&M lessons when I went to the Louisiana Center for the Blind, and I need to mention we have three 
NFB training centers across the country, Louisiana, Colorado, and Minnesota. And I subsequently went to the Louisiana Center. This was 10 years after I got my traditional training. And I wish I would have gone to Louisiana Center first. But I remember one of my first orientation mobility lessons outside, I was standing at the building, shorelining, and my mobility instructor, who was also blind, said, what are you doing over there? And said, I'm, I'm at the building. She says, yeah, that building does not need you. Come out here where the world is. And I came out on the sidewalk proper. She says, what do you hear? I said, cars. That's why I was open near the building. <laughs> <laughs> and then essentially she had me, okay, now point out in the direction, you know, as far as you can hear the traffic. So I'm pointing down the sidewalk as far as I can hear. She said, now, the traffic's on my left, by the way. She says, now move your hand 15 degrees, about 15 degrees to the right. Okay. I said, okay. She says, well, that's the direction that you need to walk. So essentially what she allowed me to do is mental map based on the sound I heard with the traffic. And I was able to walk down the sidewalk, not against the building, just walking, monitoring my distance from the traffic and the curb, at, you know, just naturally just walking on the street. And uh, she taught me to anticipate intersections. So she says, now listen to the traffic flow. Uh, do you see how the parallel traffic has stopped? And this is as I'm approaching the intersection. I said, yeah. So what does that mean? I said, well, I guess that means the light changed. So that means you cannot cross going forward because the cars have stopped. But then as I approach the intersection and I hear the traffic start moving, guess what? Now I can cross the street because the parallel traffic is moving. Those those things, and I guess you could put them in kind of a, a master's degree training program, but it's obvious that those particular skills were acquired through someone's lived experience. Right. And that's what we do. We share that with each everyone with, with everyone so that people don't have to again reinvent the wheel. Right. Yeah. There's a lot to be gained by just experiencing these mm -hmm. situations. You have to live through these things, make your own mistakes, because everybody has a slightly different way of dealing with many of these issues, right? Yes. I mean, you may do something one way, I may do something another way, but it gets the job done. And we each have our own comfort level with different routines. And that's why it's important to have a variety of tools, techniques, and technologies at your fingertips so you can use the appropriate one at the appropriate time in the right situation. Agreed. And it's important to share those with everyone because the thing that we, we find, is especially through our mentoring program, in so many instances when someone mentors someone else, the mentee ends up trying to emulate the mentor and we don't want that to happen. So that's, that's why we, in our mentoring program, we pair our young people with more than one mentor because we want them to pull the different pieces that they like, that they want to make part of who they are and embed that into their being. So that like you were saying, you have a way that you do something and I have a way that I do something. I want to expose them to both of those ways so they can determine which way works best for them, not for them to do it the way that I do it. Um, and I think that's what's important. And again, you can only get that through that shared experience of people who are living this life. Yes. Well, and also, I think the more you're exposed to seeing the way other people handle their particular tasks, the more ideas you have for integrating those behaviors into your own daily tasks. And everybody has to find their own way. That The same thing doesn't work for everyone. So what other misconceptions do you think that people have about blind people and being blind? Uh, you'd be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't be surprised, at some of the things that people put together that they think is going to benefit blind individuals. The story I love to tell is there was a researcher that came to us and says, well, I want to create 
an accessible bathroom for blind people. <laughs> and <laughs> at this particular point, I've been blind for maybe, I don't know, 10, 15, maybe 20 years. And I told them, I've been using the same ordinary bathrooms and I found them very accessible. So I don't know, but they have spent a lot of time and energy and resources in developing this particular concept. And the beauty of coming to us with that is we didn't just dismiss it out of hand. Uh, we found out that this individual was being guided by his commitment to a blind friend that he had. And he honestly just asked him, what is one of the major barriers you deal with? And his friend told him, you know, I, I feel very uncomfortable going into public restrooms. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, we, we talked to him and we found out that two things. One, his friend didn't really get good training. And two, his friend also had some other disabilities that may have made that a little bit more complicated. Right. But the fact that he had spent this time developing this technology, we helped refine that tech. Mm -hmm. And although, I mean, it was initially designed for bathrooms, his technology has turned into something that we've used collaboratively with him to make museums more accessible. He uses near field communication tags. Oh, great. And an app to provide information in those public environments that mm -hmm. are helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you were talking about the guy trying to design a more accessible bathroom, and Pete's very confident about almost everything, but he really hates those huge bathrooms. Yeah. You know, you go to an airport and there's 4,000 stalls and try to find your way around. So we use the family assist restrooms because there's just there this one space we can go in together, and he doesn't have to touch everything in order to know where the toilet is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's the other thing, too. And that's when I speak to the training. Uh, you know, it, it was part of part of my learning. Uh, and I, I, I don't know, maybe it was helpful that I had been and seen public restrooms. But I think either way, you get to a point where you acquire a skill set. So as I'm moving through a restroom, you know, there, there are certain things because there's no common layout, you know, that right. you can um, use as you get around. So right. I usually try to my, my strategy if we want to dig down this is I'll go either clockwise or counterclockwise around the bathroom depending on where the door is so if if I have to go into the the bathroom and I have to turn right and turn right to get into the bathroom then what I normally do is I go clockwise I'll turn left when I get to the first open space because usually the sinks are in that other side so I'll go around until I you know have my cane gets those dividers and if it has those dividers or if I'm having it more vertical, it'll run into the urinals first. And then if I go a little further and I find out that there are more uh, areas blocked off, then I know that those are probably the stalls. Uh, you know, and if I do head that way and I find out that I'm closer to the sinks, then I know that the stalls and the urinals are probably on the opposite side. And that's pretty consistent through most bathrooms. But I don't have to touch anything until I'm really, you know, the place where I need to be to do what I need to do. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, there are some pretty common layouts. Yeah. Often Nancy will take a peek inside as I open the door and she can tell, you know, which side the major fixtures are on. And exactly. It, it gives yeah. me a hint as to where I get started. There you go. Teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about the National Federation of the Blind and their programs, how to contact them, how to get involved, and how to reach Anil Lewis directly. Anil, how can people get more involved with the National Federation of the Blind if they want to? So the easiest way, if they're computer savvy, they can go to nfb.org and there's a list of all of our affiliates and their, their contact numbers. Uh, but you can also call at the national office, 
659-9314. And uh, our information and referral staff will be happy to track down the information for your local affiliate and local chapter. Now, you talked about programs for people of all different ages, everything from parents of newborn blind children up Mm -hmm. to seniors who are themselves losing their vision. Is it easy to find those programs on the website? Yes, we have a whole list of all of our committees and divisions. So we have a Diabetes Action Network Division of Blind Diabetics. We have Blind Lawyers, uh, Blind Science Engineering, uh, Public employees, just blind entrepreneurs. So yes, all of that information is also on our website. And for those who are not web savvy, uh, calling the number at the national office, again, one of our information and referral specialists will be happy to, to provide you with any information that will be helpful. So you have lots of ways to connect either virtually or through some of these news groups, depending on your interest, <laughs> socially, in person, and people ought to just be aware of what options are available and check out your website. Yes. And for people who prefer doing things that way, do you have a social media presence? Oh, absolutely. So I know we have our Facebook account, if you look for National Federation of the Blind. Uh, On Twitter, our Twitter handle is at NFB underscore voice. Um, I don't think we have anything on Instagram. Uh, Of course, there's emails and, and podcasts and listservs, and all of that information is also available on the website. Would you like to share your personal contact information if somebody has a question for you? Sure, absolutely. Um, I can be reached at the same number, 410-659-9314. My extension directly is 2374. Um, My email address is alewis, that's A-L-E-W-I-S, at nfb.org. And for those who are social media savvy, my Twitter handle is at Life at A-N-I-L-L-I-F-E. And of course, you can catch all of that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. And I was just thinking that our first episode we aired of Eyes on Success, which was called Viewpoints at the time, was in 2011. So it's almost 10 years that we've been hosting and producing this show. And what fun it's been. I want to thank all of our listeners who have sent us some very nice comments through the years, our corporate supporters, our individual supporters who have contributed through the website, and people who have sent us many nice comments over the years, suggestions, etc. If you do have a suggestion for shows you'd like to hear in the future that you don't find in our archive of over 500 episodes, you can send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners. And I would also like to add that we are very grateful to our guests who have overwhelmingly been very generous with their time and knowledge and experiences, and we could not make this show without them. So thank you to everybody. It's been a lot of fun over the years. That's it for show number 2049. Next week on Eyes on Success, we will be talking about yet another valuable free service that is available from the National Federation of the Blind, and that is NFB Newsline. 
We will be talking with Scott White, director of NFB Newsline, about the latest release and some exciting new features it includes that enable you to access literally hundreds of national, international, and local newspapers and magazines by a variety of delivery options. It's so important to keep well-informed these days, and NFB Newsline makes it so easy, so we hope you'll join us next week for that episode. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy, and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.